Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but it's an excellent one. And if you're interested in um, the business of sports media, in particular sports media rights, you, uh, you're going to want to listen to this. The guest is Michael Nathanson, the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm Moffat Nathanson. He is one of the top analysts in the country when it comes to the media sector and obviously has a, a specialty in sports. And we get into many things, including the health of sports right deals writ large, um, where the pay TV universe is going right now, meaning where cable is going right now and what the floor ultimately will be with cord cutting, the media rights futures of the college football playoffs, the NBA, the WWE, the women's basketball tournament. Um, a lot of interesting things there. Get into a little bit of YouTube TV and the NFL deal, as well as gambling and what that sector holds in relation to spending on the media long term. So great uh, 50 minutes or so with Michael Nathanson. Um, one just disclosure at the top, Michael Nathanson's research from Moffat Nathanson does have some uh, holdings in some of the companies that he analyzes, but uh, he uh, up front uh, told me that disclosure as he does, I think when he does any kind of media, and we, uh, we appreciate that, and I pass on that disclosure to you. But an excellent uh, 50-something minute conversation coming up with Michael Nathanson on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while because while I think people listen to this podcast know that I certainly have a lot of front-facing people on, and then people who are behind the scenes within uh, sports media, whether they're producers or directors or writers, it's not 
I don't often have people who have a really, I think, instinctive kind of feel for the the sports media industry, all capital letters writ large. But my guest here does. Michael Nathanson is the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm Moffitt Nathanson. The Moffitt is Craig Moffitt, his partner, a longtime telecom analyst. Obviously, the Nathanson is him. If you are a CNBC viewer, you've likely seen Michael on their airwaves. Prior to co-founding Moffitt Nathanson in 2013, Michael worked at uh, Stanford C. Bernstein and Company and at Nomura. Um, so he has obviously a lot of experience in the financial industry. And in my opinion, easily one of the top analysts in the country when it comes to the media sector. And I am pleased that he is slumming on this niche audio podcast. It's very nice of him to do that. <laughs> Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast, Michael Nathanson. Thank you for having me, Richard. Not slumming at all. I look forward to the conversation. Got it. Okay, so here's where I want to start and sort of big picture. Um, rights deals continue to get more expensive, yet live sports and news are so paramount to the content strategy of the businesses that 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 you evaluate. So let's start here. Writ large, what is the health of sports rights deals right now? For media companies when it comes to a long-term investment in them i think that um if you are in a must-have area of sports rights you're in control like you but let's not but let's be clear not everyone's must have right so i think when you ask me that question you have to ask yourself how important is this piece of content to the underlying health of the ecosystem right so there's a logic, right, that an NFL must have, NBA relatively must have. So I think the health of those rights will keep going up. But then counterintuitively, I've been surprised that things like UEFA, things like, you know, MLS, uh, even the last Major League Baseball deal, have found more support than I would have thought, right? And that's on the national level. And then you have this whole thing on RSNs, Richard, what you know well about, which is the RSNs, completely different case of must-have rights. And that's where the market's incredibly unhealthy because the monetization of those rights is, is breaking down. So there's not an easy short answer, so I apologize, but it all comes down to what kind of rights we're talking about and the quality of the, of the league themselves. But even that, I've been surprised by just the, the interest by people. Like the Big Ten, I did not expect three Big Ten bidders a billion dollars a year. Like I never saw that coming, right? Um, that blew me away. But that did happen. I just think there's just such desperation to get sports for both streaming and for linear because it's all that's working right now. So, you know, one of the things in my world, and probably your world too, has always been that the one thing when it comes to sports rights is just bet on an increase. Like the increase, you know, for obviously the NFL will be different than the increase for another sport. But generally speaking, the sure bet has been the rights will go up from the previous deal. If someone sort of just asked me, like, for any upcoming deal coming up, I would say they'd get an increase. Where where I don't want to be, um, where I, where I where I don't want to be surprised about, and and this is where I want to get to the question with you is, does that can that axiom last forever? I mean, can something like can something always go up? I mean, I, you know, if you bet against housing in the United States, you'd lose, right? Because generally right. speaking, real real estate has always gone up. So there are things that always go up. But man, like, 
this bubble has not popped. And so I'll take it for you in the short term and medium term. Okay. Would you bet on sports rights going up again as a sort of a philosophical construct? Okay. So every six years, we have a sports media conference. I go back to like 2008. And we asked Neil Pilsen, is there a bubble in sports rights? Former head of CBS Sports. He said, Michael, there's always a bubble in sports rights. You know, and that was literally 14 years ago. And yes. So the fundamental problem we have is that the ecosystem, right? The underlying pay TV ecosystem was built to pay for sports rights, right? You had 80 million, 100 million homes. Not everyone was a sports fan, but we all paid into the cookie jar. And that cookie jar was then apportioned back to sports rights. We're now at about 70 million AT homes on the way to 50. I think you get to 50 million homes, it's just going to be harder and harder to justify that, you know, the truism that sports rights always go up. I really think that's where we're headed. And when I look at the value of some of the team deals we see happening in front of us, I'm scratching my head because I'm like, well, I think we're cutting the core down to 50 million subs. And I've not seen a streaming model, aside from Netflix now, that makes any sense. So how are we going to fund, you know, let's say 2026 on all these increases in the next set of right deals, right? Now, we're early, Richard, but like you see where this is going. And I think everyone got fortunate to do the deals they did two, three years ago before core cutting really started to accelerate. So the pandemic really screwed up cord cutting. And then we would argue the streaming companies that own linear nets created this deflationary product where for Peacock, two bucks a month, you get Sunday Night Football and, and Premier League, Paramount Plus, four bucks a month, you get CBS Football, you get UAP Soccer. They've created a deflationary psychology amongst their consumers. And now the bundle looks really expensive when you're not in the NFL season, right? So I just think we're heading into a worse outcome. So if your instinct is my instinct, which is this can't last, although we, it's always said it can't last, the crack in the, uh, the foundation is cord cutting. That's what we keep focusing on. And then the strategy to leak the best rights over the top into bundles that are too cheap, right? So Fox has a different strategy. I like the Fox strategy. It's not fun, but it's keeping their rights in the bundle and trying to get the most out of the bundle that they can. All right, I'm going to get. I'm definitely going to get to Fox because I know. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, you've talked about this. Yeah. One thing about something you just said um, that's really fascinating to me. You said this. You just said this now. You said this before that the pay TV model goes from 80 million. Uh, TV homes shrinks to like 50, whatever, 55, yeah. 60 million, whatever yeah. that number is. Right. Um, is what, how do I ask this? Why are you convinced that that's the floor? Why are you convinced that like the number ends up as 50 million as I'm just going to throw something out there as opposed to 25 million or, or 20 million? Cause the reality is 50 million pay TV households is still a great business to be in. If that's the number. Right. Okay. Thank you for that question. Um, we've worked for the past couple of years with um, Altman Salon, which is a research firm, and they've been surveying to try to get the an estimate of the number of regular sports fans who are in the country. And our view was, if you're a regular sports fan, and maybe a regular news fan, a viewer, sports news viewer, you're the bedrock of viewing, right? So, at, but I have a caveat here. 
as we know today, the survey says that there are 50 to 60 million sports fans in the U.S. And when we see cord cuttings, you know, from those cohorts, most people are not cutting the cord tremendously. They're just not. Okay. But what you're leading me to say, I think you're right, where we can be really wrong is that people start taking the elements of the bundle that are key to staying in the bundle, NFL, NBA, and putting those products in streaming bundles. And that thing just unwinds, right? So that's why we're so critical of the companies that are cheating. You know, they're not cheating. They're not cheating anyone, but they're cheating themselves in a way that they're taking the NFL, putting it in an over-the-top bundle, heavily discounting it, and thinking that consumers are going to, you know, stick with an eighty to hundred dollar bundle. The reason why we're sticking right now is because Fox, Disney, and Turner, through the sports rights holders, have not done that. Right, so you can cheat if everyone, everyone is willing to blow the bundle up. Right, but to your question, the bundle will be going down to a tiny little number if you can get all the NFL games you want and all the NBA games you want in a streaming product on an a la carte basis. You know, every single month, right? Like that's we keep. That's not going to happen with the NFL, for certain, right? Well, we don't know. Like, would Fox would Fox create FoxSports.com and give it away for five bucks a month? You know, you know, and you know, would Disney take my night football, put it in, you know, ESPN Plus? Yeah, and, and like only ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I guess conceptually that could. I mean, you know this better than me. You're if Fox does that, they change their whole business, yeah. right? And. Yeah. Man, if ESPN did that, like it, it. I think it fundamentally changes what ESPN is too. I agree with you, and that's why, like the guys who are doing it, don't have real sports networks to defend, right? So NBC killed NBC Sports Network. You know, USA is where they have their sports, so they're not, you know, they're not as tied to it the way that Disney's tied to it. With you know, if ESPN gets twelve, fifteen dollars a month. You don't want to lose that that quickly. Right? You don't want that to die, right? And you would even argue that Fox, with their retrans and FS1 and Fox News, they have a good a good business too, right? They don't want it to die either, right? So, yeah, I'm much more, as you can tell, I'm much more um, questioning of like why does Comcast that owns and Craig Mafakar's Comcast? So I don't know if you in the stock I need to say that, but why is Comcast, which owns the biggest one used to the biggest PTV company and NBC Sports, wanting like hurt those assets by putting their best content on Peacock? Like I. I don't get that, you know? Yeah, interesting. Okay, so, um, one thing before we get into some specific rights that will be up, and I'm going to be fascinated by how you see this. Yeah. I saw a research note from you where you're forecasting 2023 television advertising spending, yeah. and your forecast is that it will be down 5% to $78.7 billion. That's compared to an earlier forecast that you had that showed a 3.3% decline. So for so the listeners know, the Michael's forecast has changed that the advertising spending market uh, will be worse than perhaps expected. Yeah, the past how, couple this, months, should, basically, yeah. Right. Again, still a lot of money there. That said, how problematic is that for a Fox or an ABC or an NBC, like whose core business obviously is is bringing this advertising dollars in? Yeah, it's it's a good question. We're highly worried, very worried about advertising on non-sports, non-news cable networks, right? So, you know, every answer you get from me, and this is why, of course, I've been a podcast, is a good use of our time. 
is not a, an easy yes or no. It's nuanced, right? So if you're in the NFL advertising business or the college football and basketball business, the dollars are there. You can see that from watching March Madness, how strong the ratings were and how the dollars were supporting. To me, the worry is if you're running Seinfeld and Friends at 9 o'clock on a Thursday in cable, that audience has collapsed. The premium you're asking no longer is justifiable because the reach is not there, right? So to me, NEO, I could, I'll call out Brian Weezer in this because he's made this point over and over again. He's a former analyst. It's all about efficient reach. You want to buy reach efficiently. Sports offers you efficient reach. That hasn't changed yet. But Richard, everywhere else, the sports efficient reach game, you got some challenges on your hands, right? Because you're trying to buy a demo. Well, I can buy a better demo anywhere, you know, Avon, connected TV, streaming. So to me and why we're still relatively bullish on people like Fox and Disney, it's having that sports-led programming strategy says that I see stickiness in advertising. As long as you don't do anything dumb on rights, you have a business that will be relatively healthy uh, in terms of getting paid by distributors. Okay. I want to... Um... That's interesting. Yeah. I want to get to um, a couple of different sports rights that I think are just of great interest to my listeners. Okay. And so let's start. We'll eventually get to the NBA, obviously, because I know that's something you you talk about a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really, really interesting sort of to see what discoveries put into the marketplace in terms publicly. And, you know, it's a, sort of an interesting dance that Zaslav and Adam Silver are doing. Yeah. But before that... Um, I want to ask about the college football playoff because this you can certainly correct me if you're if you disagree with this kind of analysis but college sports is so fundamental to ESPN's business and college football in particular is so fundamental to their business and while I know that they decided to um sort of if it's the right word pass on the Big 10 or at least not go in as heavy as some of the other places. Yeah. And the Pac-12 is a bit of a mess, so we'll see where ESPN is on that. That said, to me their core business Michael tells consumers that we are the home of college sports. We are the home of college football, and if you are a college football fan, you need to consume what we do. Um and to me the college football playoff would be a massive part of that. You can't have the first two hours of a movie and not have the final 10 minutes. Right. It doesn't make any business sense to me. So my thought would be that Jimmy Pataro and company go hard and heavy on this. How do you, how do you, cause I think it's fundamentally, I think it's a fundamental play for their business. How do you see it? Yeah. So I come at this different than you because I look at the, I look at what I, I agree. So I was with John Wildhack when Turner and CBS won more or re, retained March madness back in like 2008, 2010. Like I, I, I was literally with those guys having dinner right around that time. And they were shocked. Cause I think when it came to basketball, like, well, we own the entire basketball season. Like why would you ever think about going to Turner for college basketball? Right. But they did. And I think, I think it's stuck in their craw to your point. I think they always like having the year end anything. And especially when it comes to college football, it's, between the SEC network and ACC and their deep ties. The problem is it's so expensive. It's such an expensive package that something would have to be thrown overboard. So I think what has to happen is 
you can't have everything. Clearly, they're gonna get, they want the NBA because they'll get NBA games. They think for ESPN Plus, they'll be able to do what they do with the NHL, which is good. But then they get UFC on top of that. Like they have to. And I've been urging for the past couple of years for ESPN to take a blank sheet of paper and decide, to your point, what's truly must-have versus aspirational. So if you're telling me they have to pay any price and have to retain this, which is your your belief because it's core of the... For, I, I'll be specific on mine. For the semifinals and championship game, my I don't feel that same way for the opening round of what the playoffs will be, where right. I think... Right. If you're an Amazon, let's say, or like that would be an interesting purchase to me to get a college football map. But yes, in my opinion, in terms of must have for the business, I, this and again, just my opinion, yeah. I would put the semis and the final into that for ESPN. You pay any price. So if that's the case, the business, their business does not allow for massive rights inflation on every piece of content they own, right? Like, so what? Okay, so Richard, now I turn the tables on you because I'm interviewing you. Okay, so what do you throw out? So I'm telling you, if you're Jimmy Pataro, Jimmy, you want that? Great. What are you going to trade off of that? So big Pac-12, I got it. Goodbye to Pac-12. What are you going to throw goodbye over? Sun- go- I mean, for me, yeah, goodbye Sunday Night Baseball. It's been a, it's been a great run. Well, take care, Rob Manfred. Um, baseball, you know, I have to you, look how many at more the- years in ba- you know, a couple more years in baseball. Come, yeah, right? and I don't know. I, admittedly, I'm not sure what the – the you know the money that you're going to need for the CFP is significant versus the uh, the baseball deal. Right, so, so, and then, uh, we, we'll we'll get we'll yeah we'll get to the NBA. You can't give that up because I think the demos are too important for ESPN. It's young. Their their entire their entire I feel like their entire. Tell me if you disagree. Their entire shoulder programming philosophy revolves around NBA talk. So I think it's important for them to be part of that business. They obviously cannot get out of the NFL. Um. You know, I I mean, they're they all have these long. You know, both both Discovery and ESPN has the long term NHL deal. But I I bet you if I can put Zaslav under Truth Serum, I'm not so sure how happy he is right now with that NHL deal. Like I think they could live without that, and I wonder if ESPN could live without it too. Yeah, that deal. I'm, I'm when you, one of the true hockey fans. I love hockey. Yeah, so I do I. I yeah. live in Toronto, so yeah, okay. it's great. It's okay. it's a great sport. I mean, I mentioned Eddie Jockman, so very few people know who that is. But 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 the reality is, I was shocked. I was shocked about the ESPN and NBC deal because because NBC told you ESPN and uh, Turner deal. NBC told you they didn't want to be in that business. Like they were happy to give it up, and like it's such a local. Sport. Like it's such a local sport. I know you're in Canada. God bless it. But like here in America, like the, like once your team is knocked out, which for me is every year starting May first, I'm done with hockey. I I curse it because there's another year. And you're probably Maple Leaf fans who share this frustration of not winning a cup, and I'm turning old, and I'm stealing one cup. So I agree that that was a head scratching deal. We also had talked to ESPN about baseball. He said, oh, why baseball? Well, baseball, they said, it's tonnage. Like, so baseball is just pure, pure tonnage. But I have, I don't know. So to what you said, I think, is right about college football. But I need something. If I am the investor in Disney or the Alice, which I am, to, to tell me why this is a good thing to keep buying sports rights, you know, just as your revenue is going, you know, decelerating, you know? 
Yeah. So it's interesting. So, you know, I lived in New York most of my life until I moved to Toronto five years ago. And the one thing I learned since moving up here is the sports net deal for the NHL turned out to be an albatross for that company because what they learned is that it really is a regional sport. And the notion that if you live in Toronto, that somehow you're going to be watching like the Canucks versus the Red Wings at 10 o'clock at night is not the case. Like you will watch your, like if you're a Ranger fan, like Rangers, Devils, Rangers, Islanders, that's important to you. But Flyers, San Jose Sharks at 10 o'clock means nothing to you. No, exactly. And you know, because the Stanley Cup ratings in America have always been terribly soft, right? Like, so yeah, no. So why? I agree with you. But, you know, college football, it's funny because I went to Brandeis, which is not a college football powerhouse, not even a team. But you know what? I have kids of college age. Those kids that go to college football powerhouses, it matters to the alumni like nothing else. It just does. And it brings out, it brings out fans to paint top ticket and for fundraising and supporting the school. So it's a different sport. I agree. A different sport than hockey and, and even NBA, which is still a bit regionalized, you know. So let's get to the NBA. So I think, as you've said, and I think we both agree, it's very, very vital for ESPN. Like there's yeah. there's so many re- – It's I think most people listening to this podcast would understand why the NBA is important to ESPN. The real interesting thing to me in terms of the other incumbent is discovery because – David Zasloff has put out to market now mixed messages now for the last year. On the one hand, he sort of came out and said, you know, yeah, we're interested, but we're interested in the right price. It has to be worth worth it for us. We need to figure out what the future is. This wasn't like this is our we got to have this. We love Adam Silver. He's you know, he's been mixed lately. It seems like he's a little more sort of positive on this. But the way I look at this and then I want to get your take is that um, I think ESPN retains and I think they have to retain. Uh, Discovery, I would argue that without the NBA, I don't really understand their sort of cable business anymore. But I mean, maybe maybe Zaslav has, you know, he's a smarter guy than me. Maybe he has a sort of a thought there. And then I think, Michael, unquestionably, if you're the NBA, there's it, it makes too much sense not to bring a streamer in as a third partner to get a yeah. uh, bigger reach and to get a gigantic um, influx of cash. So if I had to guess today... I would probably guess that both ESPN and Turner um, uh, resign. I think one of those two packages or both of those packages is reduced a little bit and Amazon gets the other um, inventory. But I'm very curious to see how you see this. Okay. ESPN, we both agree. Check, check. You know, ESPN stays. They'll pay more. They get streaming rights. Check, check. The interesting thing is going to be about those RSN games. Like, I think, you know, Adam Silver's fortunate that he doesn't have to worry about the RSNs after he struck a national deal. Like, Manfred and baseball's got a problem in their hands, which is like, you know, they've done their national deals, but now the RSNs are imploding, right? So, RSN games into a national package to get paid. I, I think the NBA is going to do is try to create three or four packages and basically try to basically take, you know, Monday game of the week, Friday game that we can try to basically create more event programming around games of the week. I think, you know, Adam Silver, I'm a fan, I'm a friend, I, I like him, I've talked to him a bunch of times. He's smart. He knows his problem with his TV package is that it's too cable-centric. You know, TNT for people in their 20s or people in their teens doesn't exist as a as a destination at all, right? And ESPN does, but, you know, cord cutting is happening and maybe it's 
half the country will be kind of covered by the time this deal comes up. So I would suggest if you follow the NFL model, ESPN and ABC, and I would think if you're Adam, the outcome is maybe you go to Fox and FS1 or Comcast. Like I think you need to go to a more broadcast centric model because I think the long term, although TNT has been, been a great steward and you've got the pregame show, I just think it hurts your brand long term not to have wider reach. You know, like what the NFL has said, every time you see Brian roll out, I know him reasonably well too. His whole mantra is we're in the business of reach. Reach, 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 reach. And you know, you know, so you and I do it on podcasts, you know how much fragmentation there is in, in the world of content. I still think broadcast has a reach. So I wonder, does Adam, hearing what Zazzle say, say, hey, Dave, thank you. You've been a great partner. But I think for the long-term health of our brand, it's better to be to have two broadcast slots and an, and an ESPN. You know, like to just maintain the reach of the brand and not because, you know, we, used to, we did some work on cable network reach. Cable network reach has fallen by two-thirds from where it was five years ago because people cut the cord and you have an older audience. So um, it's a long answer. So I think you get ESPN. Turner may not be a shoe-in. Maybe broadcast comes back, Fox or NBC. And then I think you have Apple and Amazon. Uh, you know, I think I think Adam's able to get one of both because, you know, to your point, the NBA is a very digitally strong brand, right? Look at Twitter NBA, right? Look at all that passion on Twitter, right? Like, and it's a young, it's one of the youngest sports we have. It needs to be in a mode, you know, in a mode that is available to more young people. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and that your reasoning makes a lot of sense to me. One last thing on the NBA, and then I want to yeah. get to, um, I want to focus on women's sports, particularly the women's okay. tournament, which is really interesting to me. Um, I would, I would argue that the NBA has far more leverage in these negotiations than discovery does because of exactly what you just said that yeah. while I think discovery has been a great partner, the notion that somehow the NBA needs discovery in terms of putting its games on is just incorrect. I would argue that yeah. discovery really needs the NBA far more if they are still involved in the, you know, live sports, live news business, which if they have CNN, like, I mean, they, you look at Zaslow's business, it still revolves around around live sports and, and news. So I, uh, yeah. yeah, like I think Adam Silver's got a. I guess I would say I. Don't, I think Adam Silver's got a great hand here. Yeah, in how he plays it. I agree. The, the idea that that David is able to get a deal from Adam on this is wrong. Like, there's not going to be a deal. Like, it's not going to be. Hey, here's a disc. Like, Adam knows what he has here. I also think that TNT's affiliate fees have been backstopped for years by having the NBA. Right, you don't want to risk losing that. But if I'm the NBA owners, I look at the NFL and NFL values and say, well, why can't well the NFL is we know it's different. We know that. But I think I think Brian Rolap's strategy and Roger Grindel's strategy are looking for reach and predictability of like where you know kind of the same windows, I think it makes a ton of sense. I just think those guys at the NFL have figured out a recipe. It's not for every league, like we're talking about hockey, but basketball couldn't be more more national in terms of the packaging of it, you know? And I think broadcast is what I, I mean, I, I wouldn't underwrite, I would not like just, you know, just disregard broadcast from from here, you know? And, and I, I think Fox could be a good partner for that, you know? I really do. That would be, that would, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, you know, one of the thing, um, I covered women's basketball for a long time at Sports yeah. Illustrated. So I was, uh, 
I feel like I had some interesting insight into that sport before sort of the rest of the world, I feel like, is caught up this year, you know, given yeah. the amazing number that uh, the, the women's final had. The I don't know how much you follow this, but the NCAA um, is discussing the idea of do they make the women's tournament its own individual property to go to market, which supposedly will be $100 million, $110 million property, or do they keep that property within the other championships, non-football, non-basketball, and use that as bigger leverage to sort of sell that championship set of properties to an ESPN, et cetera. I set all that up, Michael, to sort of ask you that, you know, if you're looking, in my opinion, to some, to, to the, to really good growth plays. And again, we're talking about obviously far less dollar figures in the NFL and all these other stuff, et cetera. Women's sports really does feel like an undervalued asset. And I feel like at least the general public for the first time in a long time, got a sense of that when, even if you were a casual, like news consumer, you saw like, Oh my God, 10 million people watch this final basketball game. I think that was probably eye opening to a lot of casual sports fans. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's almost like magic versus Larry in uh exactly if, like the same kind of like setup not to get any more into politics but yeah the um or you know, I, you know like, again I think what you're when you asked me that first question about the value of sports rights I hedged my answer because I said oh of course the, the A properties are more valuable but the B properties have been more valuable too <laughs> it's like you know it's like there's just more value here and if I was if I was NCAA I'd like that property be on its own you know like i want someone to have skin in the game that they bid a high a high number for it that they promote it they care about it right like that's what's made march madness so great there's a big number attached to it, right so if you're tbs your turner and cbs you care about that you care about that it's gotta it has to be your focal point for the springtime and i think you're right i think i think we'll be i think looking back like this was this was a wake-up call about the value of women's sports I totally agree with you. You know, have you um, have you examined or does your place examine the WWE in terms of like because they have a uh, to me a very interesting um, media rights discussion coming up. The valuation of the Endeavor uh, WWE merger, like the crazy dollar figures that they put on there, at least Endeavor put on there, or whatever nine point whatever three billion for WWE, to me is very clearly tied to some expectation as to what they get in their upcoming media rights. They have their partnership and deal with Fox, which again, unless the Fox strategy changes dramatically, is still news and live sports, yeah. and that fits yeah. under that. And then obviously they have their deal with uh, Comcast, Peacock, etc. And that is an incredibly important property for Peacock in particular, because I would think that has to be the biggest sub-seller for Peacock is that the WWE is on there. So I wanted to just get your broad thoughts on, like, um, like, do you think there'll be other uh, bidders in play? How important is it for the incumbents to retain? And, like, what kind of figures are we talking about with this? This is a very unique property compared yeah. to what we've talked about before, you know, the NBA and all this other stuff. So we don't cover WWE and UFC. You could say the people at Endeavor – are waiting for us to cover it because we've been talking about covering it forever and she's taking it for you know basically we were hoping to cover it and all of a sudden it, the deals and ads and it's now created an even more complicated landscape for us but i think what we learned from endeavor is that they built a really good model for espn plus right so you have you know, it's really the pay-per-view the ability to drive pay-per-view right so you have your regular programming 
you have your your undercard, and then to see the best of the best, you've got to pay up for pay per view. And and ESPN, the way they struck the deal with, with Endeavor, is very favorable for ESPN. If you think about WWE, it's a similar model there. Like let's basically create our own well or partner and get a rev share with higher rev shares on more pay-per-views, right? Like basically, I make this sport even more global than it is. It's not very global, WWE, but UFC is, right? So I, so I think there's a bit of learning. I don't know either assets as well as I should we're working on that, but I think what UFC has done with, with ESPN Plus, and I think your point of Peacock's saying, there's real value in a world where you have 24-7 constant programming, and you can then move people into an even higher pay tier, right? And to your point on WWE and UFC's benefit, it's it's always on. It's every season, right? Like the problem we have with sports is the NHL is going to end soon for me. The Rangers don't go far, and then I'm done with the NHL, right? Now baseball is 102 games. It's a long season. And, you know, Mariano behind me, you can't see it on the on the radio. But like, I'll care about the Yankees. I care about them now. But it's a long, long way. But you have to see in WWE every couple weeks. You care about it. Right? Fifty-two so, weeks. WWE is a fifty-two week a year product. Yeah, so it's really cool. So I'm um, and I answer your question, Richard, because. We're in the process of trying to do that research, but I, but I think there's something to their models that are very different than the leagues themselves because of their ability to upsell you and, and to be 52 weeks a year, you know? So I, I think there's something there. The question is, uh, does, you know, if NBC really wanted to be even bigger in this business, why didn't they just buy WWE? Like, like, like why didn't they just walk into Vince McMahon's office and say, look, here's some Comcast stock. We want to be in the WWE business. So I wonder like what they were thinking, because it could have basically, yeah, it was a big number, but you you would have owned something, you know, and, and internally monetized it in a way that you don't now, right? Yeah. Interesting. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right a couple more here before i let you go it's it seems clear it seems clear to me based on just this conversation as well as stuff i've read about you and and when i've heard you talk about this um you like what Fox has done in terms of not investing heavily in the streaming business, right? They have they have they have essentially decided to um, punt on that compared to you know Paramount, CBS, and ESPN plus Disney, et cetera. 
And, you know, it seems like when it comes to sports, at least, this has worked well for them. I get that, like, there's other larger issues at play with Fox. Uh, Rupert Murdoch's sort of future is one. Obviously, this Dominion suit can massively impact him, depending on if they lose that, which... I mean, you know, this is not a political podcast, but I, I would say there's a real possibility they may. But the the reality, Michael, is that they made a calculated decision on not going all in on streaming. And that seems to me that that's worked real well for sports. Do you agree? I agree. Totally agree. And we support we, You know, we, we write very positive about them. There's this back of the brain emerging worry that, look, if we get down to 50, 60 million homes, Taking a bundle, that means there are 70 to 80 million homes that don't take a bundle. And within that 70 to 80 million home non bundle users, there's got to be some people who like sport. So at some point going forward, there's going to be that needs to be made about what do we do with the rights we have, our sports rights, to reach the majority of Americans who are living outside the bundle, right? And that's like and then I wonder, like, is there an ESPN plus Fox sports bundle? But for the hand they've had since the separation with Disney back in 2019, they played very, very well. What we all worry about is like, look, what we see happening continues in cord cutting. The end of this decade is a really different time. And Richard, it's not clear to us how do they monetize those NFL rights away from the bundle or the college football right from the bundle in the, in the business they have because they don't have a way to do it, right? So I think they're starting to realize and thinking, okay, what's our right attack strategy? But it wasn't Peacock or Paramount Plus or you know, they, they're smart not to be in that business. There's eight streaming companies right now and three of them have very deep pockets at least maybe four. But you're not going to win that game you know, against a bigger company. All right, I got three more talks for you. I'll get you out of here in ten minutes. Um, okay, thank you. You got it. Um, you you have written and covered Netflix extensively. I think you're one of yes. the experts. You're one of the experts in the country on this. Sometimes um, incorrectly, sometimes correctly. It's been correct, uh, yeah, but still, yeah, you're, 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 you're doing, be on my tombstone. You're, you're doing the, Netflix right and wrong. <laughs> you're yeah. doing the work, as they say. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation in my world, uh, uh, maybe you know, six months, a year ago, with so much success for um, their F1 uh, Drive to Survive series, which yeah. is still successful, obviously, that, okay, you know what? Netflix is going to get into sports. Uh, maybe they'll buy the entire F1 circuit. But, you know, so far they haven't. And But that yeah. always feels to me like the... Uh, I I don't mean this pejoratively, using it as a metaphor. Like the Death Star, they're always sitting there, and you know, you, if they ever decide to do it, I'd be real scared if I was CBS or ESPN. Do you see in like the medium term at all these guys trying to get into sports, even in like a something small where like I'll just make this up, okay? Like where they decide, like, um, you know what, we we really like uh, um, the French Open. And we're just going to decide right. to like bid a crazy amount of money, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna be like, okay, on top of watching your favorite Netflix show, we happen to have this live coverage of the French Open. Do you do you like? I'm curious because I don't follow them enough closely to have a sense. But what is real and what is not real about them being like in the live sports game? Everything that they say publicly says that it's not real. Okay. But what I've learned over my decade of covering the company. Sometimes what they say publicly is not actually what's happening, right? <laughs> uh, so they don't want to be in the live sports business. But 
Basically, look at all the money they spend on scripted content. We think they overspend. We think they like you don't need as much scripted content as they produce. If you look at HBO back in the old model, right? Your Wimbledon point. HBO got out the Wimbledon business. Remember yeah, that? I remember. And so I would think a global sport where you can actually build awareness. So they've done, you know, that full swing show golf. I loved yeah. it. I thought, it was Break, awesome. I thought I love. I watched Breakpoint. I thought it was great. The tennis one. It was great too. Totally. And you know what? I'm a big golf fan. I never saw on tennis. Too, I've never seen those personalities before. Right. And it's like, so the answer is they're not going to do it publicly. But I think the next three or four years. They have to do it. They'd be crazy not to. They'd be crazy not to. So, yeah, but they'll be selective because they want to own all sport and all markets and all right. Like, they're not going to get a Thursday night package the way Amazon did because they have a different MO, right? They need somewhere where they can own all markets and all rights. And I think that's, you know, it's got to be something they can, the entire sport from beginning, middle, and end of the So, season. are we thinking, like, yeah. would you say that that plays more to something global as opposed to something domestic for the U.S.? Yeah, I totally global. Like your Formula One made wasn't that much money at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, you know, made a yeah. lot of sense to me. That's when I thought yeah. like that made sense for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So we have to figure out what what could be coming. You know, part of it is that you know Ted Sarandos has over standard over and over. This is not their strategy. But like not putting films in theaters is not their strategy either. But at some point, logic says you probably should put a film in theater once in a while. Just if you really believe in a film. Consumers won't mind that it's in theater first. Actually, if you're a theater fan, movie fan, I can see it in a theater, then I'll see it on Netflix. Yeah. All right, last two. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for having me on, Richard. I loved it. It's great. Yeah, yeah no, I, pr- I appreciate this, yeah. Michael. It's been a great conversation. You, um, I've, I've read that you said that for YouTube TV, which obviously now in the, um, the NFL game, uh, yeah. Sunday Ticket, they need four and a half new, million new subscribers, in your opinion, to break even? Does, does How do you... Th- I don't know. Does the does the NFL deal get them anywhere near where they need to be on this? Yeah. So so funny enough, the math just changed because our price points were were lower, right? So oh. we thought they come in. Okay. We thought they come in at the the two hundred two fifty price point, and now they're coming in. <laughs> no, that was much higher, Michael. <laughs> I know, hundred bucks higher. And it's funny when I go talk to my clients. You know, so okay, so I'm you know I'm I'm a Giants fan, but I'm also a Red Zone. I watch Red Zone, and I'm. I'm older than most, but I watch Red Zone. It's like I'm very comfortable watching, you know, the one o'clock, four o'clock game in Red Zone. Same. So I remember when I wrote the note, I mean, you guys like like you, some other people that you know said, you're right, Michael. Consumer behavior has changed on the NFL. But then I have clients who tell me that they're Vikings fans living in New England and they can't wait to get the Red Zone on YouTube TV. And then the fact that you had to get a dish was one of the gating factors to ever get in the Red Zone. So... And even YouTube themselves can't wait to tell me that I'm going to be wrong. So I think they are, this is a very healthy debate. I stand by our analysis that you don't understand why this is a deal they wanted to be in, of all the deals they could have bought. But YouTube feels pretty comfortable that this is a good idea. They want to build a channel's business, a store business, like Amazon has, right. using the NFL. And look, I'm a, you know, you're in Canada, but YouTube TV is a great product. I'm a yes. YouTube TV user. I agree. I'm always telling people that. Even though I don't have MSG or the Yes Network, I'm okay with that. So, like, if it gets more people to even sample YouTube TV, it's going to lead to more people signing up for it, right? Passion, drive, and patience. 
What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, last one for me, probably one you didn't expect, but it's just pretty interesting because I I just saw this news over the last day or two, and then it would relate to the states as well. So the Premier League clubs decided to withdraw gambling sponsorship from the the front of their match day jerseys. Basically, this is they're the first sports league in the UK to take a measure voluntarily to reduce um, gambling advertising. The UK market, as you know is much more mature than the United States market when it comes to sports gambling. We as sports consumers have been flooded with so many gambling ads and so many of these companies over the last year or two. It got me thinking that do you think in the evolution of all this, there may be a flip in the United States in four or five years, wherever, where the reduction of sports gambling inventory and ads starts to come and then if you play this out, Michael, if that happens, that is bad news for a mega amount of companies who have taken so many – by the way, I include The Athletic in this as well, where I work – who have taken so much money from these enterprises um, right over the last couple of years. I just – I saw that and I start to think to myself, you know, like if the evolution is the same, if this comes to the U.S., some people are going to be hurting. And I wonder how you saw it. Richard. Awesome question. Um, I want to give a shout out to the people on my team, Robert Fishman, James Caceres, who covered DraftKings. So we, we've done a ton of work in DraftKings. But I'm giving you an answer, a personal answer, which I don't know if your, your, your listeners want to hear, but as a parent of 20-year-olds and a first-hand observer, I can't stand the way sports gambling business has been built in America. I think it's disgusting personal feeling i may never get companies at my you know, events ever again but like to give people free free money and like just you know it's tempted it's been just you know these these phones people don't realize how much money they're losing and kids especially when they're gambling and i, I guarantee you five years time there's going to be congressional investigations about how do we let this happen right how do we i mean everyone needed money so badly from the states post you know post covid that is being just flooding it, but I think long term, I, I just think it's it's not very it's not very good. It's you know it's it's no different than giving people cheap cigarettes and cheap booze. It really you know it's like making it easy. So that's but look, I'm I'm not a puritan in any sense, but I just think you know it affects mental health and they prey on people who are just you know have you know, just there's a weakness there. There's a you know they're they could just be obsessive compulsive behavior you know that they're playing into right so yeah but you asked me that's a very personal question or not personal no, I understand. I guess, but, I, the only i mean but it could be it could be 
very bad day when that does happen, right? You know, it's like, yeah, a very bad day. I just wonder, the, the only reason, I, the, the, what I was just going to add is that I feel like the only way it happens in the U.S. is if the NFL, the most important league, sort of decides to pull back. And at least from my perspective right now, I don't see that. Now, maybe that changes, but um, that would be the league I feel like that would dictate a lot of this, just given how much gambling interests, right, revolve around the NFL. I know, but look, there's a team in Vegas. Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas, right? No, they're they're um, going. I feel like they're going. They're going in. They're embracing this essentially. But to your point, you know, I think Commissioner Goodell. I don't know if I brought her all up. They're not blinded. You know, like they're 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 incredibly successful. Incredibly successful league. But I don't think they're blinded to the risks here. You know, it's like, and I kind of wonder on the margin. Will things change, right? Like, right. and I feel better, like, for like a Calvin Ridley who lost the season. Yeah. Just, you know, making a silly bet on a couple teams when, you know, December of last year or a year and a half ago, it's like he's lost his entire season. Yeah. It's really, look, we're really bullish on sports. We think that, you know, DraftKings is a really well run company. We see the winners emerging. It's, not, it's been nothing but good for like, you know, for the, that's why part of the right. I mean, you know that audiences are watching yep. and that the dollars are supporting it, right? Yep. But from a public, public policy standpoint, I may be on the island because I just have people who are younger in my family that I'm just aware of it, you know? I would say this. If you're on an island, I just think you may be early. And I think yeah. if, if I had this discussion with you 10 years from now, I think it might be a very different discussion. So well, I don't disagree with you. I just and this is again just my own just personal opinion. I think corporately the attitude would have to change in order for then uh public policy to change. But you know what? Some of this will dis- will be determined like who's elected, right? Who's in office? Right. You never you don't know. I mean, you don't know. Yeah, no. It's funny like when I do drive in my car, listen to WFN radio, shout out to I'm Matt. sure you're yeah, I'm sure you're inundated with gambling ads almost every every break, right? Every second, but then you are Craig Carton, you know, right. went to jail. I'm like, well, are they connecting the dots here? Right? It's like, you know, you have, you have a host who basically, and he's awesome about it as his own show, but it's just every commercial pod is filled with three, you know, ads for sports gambling. Yeah, you know? it's, it's even in uh, where I live now, Ontario, uh, same thing. I mean, it's it just yeah. got approved in the last couple of, uh, last year, and it's it's just flooded. Right. Michael, and Richard, so, uh, so can I can I leave with this? Yeah, please. I became a I became a sports fan because of the history of the teams that I followed. Right, my dad grew up in Brooklyn. We were Dodger. He was a Dodger fan. I started watching the Rangers when I was a little kid in the blue section. Like to me, it was the passion of the team and the fans and being in the building. Yeah, and I just worry that as time goes on, there's less people who feel that way, and more people right. just say, "What's the spread tonight?" And who do I have in yeah, fantasy? No. You know, I, I was like, I got you it. know. They're connect like yeah. you held up the phone, and the connection isn't the team and the smell of the stadium anymore. It's the phone. You know that's exactly. what's scary. I'm with you though. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I, I do. You know, I, I I'm really curious. I think about a lot the under 25 fan and what they're yeah. heading into. Michael Nathanson is the co-founder and senior managing director of the research firm Moffitt Nathanson. He's the Nathanson part of that. The Moffitt is Craig Moffitt. And um, again, I can't recommend him enough when it comes to uh, just someone who sort of analyzes uh, the media sector. Obviously, if you heard on this podcast, a lot of what they do is in 
relation to sports. So if you've never heard Michael before, just Google him. And um, uh, he, he's one of the people in the business that the, the people who run this stuff listen to. Michael, listen, your time is valuable. I, I don't take it for granted. And you gave us 50 minutes. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we can do it again. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for asking, Richard. It was awesome. Thanks. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Michael Nathanson for a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. If you like these podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and a note wherever you get your podcast between uh, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play, etc. Head to the archives. Should be some stuff that uh, you're interested in. Previous podcast before this one, Alan Shipnuck, the fine golf writer, and Howard Beck, fine NBA writer on uh, covering the Masters for Alan and uh, NBA writers voting on awards for Howard. Before that, we did an all-women's basketball podcast. Ryan Rico of ESPN, the game caller of the Women's Final Four, and Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant of The Athletic had a roundtable with uh, Austin Karp and Chad Finn, as well as CNBC reporter Alex Sherman on the WWE Endeavor merger. WWE announcer Michael Cole was a recent guest on this podcast. ESPN broadcaster Holly Rowe was as well. Fox Sports play-by-play broadcaster Joe Davis Turner, CBS, Westwood One broadcaster, Kevin Harlan, again, the archives uh, should be some interesting things for you. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work and help. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey and Cages 13 for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Presented by T-Mobile the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.